Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Thursday, January 28th, and this is your FT News Briefing. The White House says it's keeping an eye on amateur stock traders who are causing headaches for short sellers by targeting individual stocks. Shares in companies like GameStop and AMC have skyrocketed. Meanwhile, the broader S&P 500 had its worst day in months. And we'll take a look at how China's vaccine makers are meeting demand. Plus, the world's largest asset manager has pledged to put sustainability at the heart of its investments. But has BlackRock met its promises? I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. We had a slew of large-cap earnings yesterday. Apple reported its highest-ever profit in the holiday quarter, more than $111 billion. It's thanks in part to strong sales in China. Tesla topped Wall Street's expectations for revenue growth, but it failed to hit earnings forecasts. And Facebook beat expectations and announced record quarterly earnings, thanks to its push into e-commerce during the pandemic. But the big story this week isn't about these companies. It's about amateur traders who have been organizing on the social media site Reddit and piling into companies like GameStop, AMC, and BlackBerry. AMC, which owns movie theaters, was up more than 300% on Wednesday. Reddit traders have been targeting hedge funds who have been betting against these companies. One hedge fund, Melvin Capital, closed its bet against GameStop after losing billions of dollars. The impact of these amateur traders has even caught the attention of the White House. And it looks like day traders aren't just eyeing American companies. Melvin Capital, the short-selling hedge fund, had bets against European companies too. And yesterday, three of those companies each saw their shares jump more than 5%. Now, despite the surge in certain individual stocks, the broader S&P 500 ended sharply lower. The 2.6% drop made Wednesday the worst day for the index since October. Investors seem to be worried about problems with COVID-19 vaccine rollouts and the fate of President Joe Biden's $1.9 trillion stimulus package. Despite the Federal Reserve's announcement that it would keep its ultra-easy monetary policy in place for the foreseeable future, investors fled riskier assets for safer havens. Yields on 10-year treasuries briefly dipped below 1% before settling at 1.01%. Political tensions are rising in Europe over a shortage of vaccine doses. In Spain, for example, officials have had to stop vaccinations in the Madrid region because of the scarcity. Meanwhile, Chinese vaccine makers have plenty of supply. State-owned drug companies Sinopharm and Sinovac have shipped over 20 million doses to countries from Turkey to the Philippines. Lex writer Jun Yoon has been reporting on Chinese vaccines, which so far show lower efficacy rates. It's partly to do with the science behind how the vaccines are made. The Chinese vaccines use inactivated virus, which is how conventional influenza vaccines are made. The Pfizer vaccine is a different type of vaccine, which uses messenger RNA genetic material. So flu shots have efficacy rates of around 50%. So that's along the lines of the Chinese vaccine, which means the vaccine stops half of those that take the shot from getting sick. So for developing countries dealing with uncontrolled increases in the number of cases, any type 
of means of slowing that spread down, as well as limiting the number of new strains, is being seen as a welcome solution. But you've reported that the Sinovac vaccine costs $60 for two doses. That's significantly higher than the reported cost of the Pfizer and Moderna doses. It is quite expensive, isn't it? So I think the key point um, why this expensive vaccine is being rolled out in so many countries is because shortages are already an issue. So for developing countries like Brazil or the Philippines or Malaysia, they are unable to secure the necessary number of doses because they're lower on the list who order those vaccines. So I think, again, it's like the only option that they have. June Yoon is a writer for the FT's Lex column. She's based in Seoul. The CEO of the world's largest asset manager, BlackRock, has been talking a lot about climate change. Last year, Larry Fink promised to put sustainability and environmental stewardship at the heart of how BlackRock invests its nearly $9 trillion in funds. He announced a host of new initiatives. And a year later, we thought it was worth looking at whether BlackRock has put its money where its mouth is. Our investment correspondent, Attracta Mooney, has been following this, and she joins me now. So Attracta, BlackRock has said it would review its voting policies, improve transparency, and start to vote against board directors if companies were not making sufficient progress on these issues. How much of that has BlackRock actually done? So actually quite a lot. Um, There's been quite a few changes on the stewardship side, which is an area BlackRock has come in for a lot of criticism on in the past. So um, on the director side, on voting against directors, it did vote against 62 board directors at companies last year where it felt they weren't taking climate change seriously enough. And another noteworthy thing that it said it will do is that it's going to start voting for shareholder resolutions on climate change and other issues, which is something it's not really done in the past. It's always been quite sceptical of the power of shareholder resolutions. They've also been attempting to be more transparent around how it votes at annual meetings and around its um, discussions with companies over issues. But there's still quite a lot of criticism, mostly that it's still way behind its peers in Europe. Many of its biggest rivals in Europe are being much harder on companies around climate change issues and other issues. And so, you know, it was graded, it recently got a B grade in a report up from a C minus, but many of its European peers are getting an A grade on stewardship. Mm. And to what extent has BlackRock followed up on promises to integrate ESG in its investment portfolios? And has it launched new financial products focused on sustainability? What has it done on those fronts? Yeah, so BlackRock says that it has integrated ESG into all of its active strategies. It has also doubled the number of ESG indexed offerings and has doubled the number of actively managed sustainable products. So there's been quite a lot of movement there. The one issue, I guess, on this is that more than half of its assets are managed passively, which is an area that it doesn't have this huge influence. It isn't able to integrate ESG as easily. What about its pledge to divest from fossil fuels? Has it followed up on that? So what it did say was that it said it was going to divest from companies that generate a quarter of their revenues from coal. That's across their actively managed strategies, and it has done that. The problem is that that metric doesn't take in some of the biggest coal producers in the world because they don't generate a quarter of their revenues from coal. It also hasn't yet got strict on other fossil fuel companies, although Mr. Fink did note this week 
that they could start divesting from other fossil fuel companies if they aren't taking climate change seriously enough. So overall, Attracta, to what extent is Fink indulging in greenwashing after years of criticism? And how much is he really changing the industry and having a real impact on environment? I think this is too early to say. BlackRock made big progress last year. It's harder to say, though, whether that's sustainable and how that's going to play out across its passively managed assets. And regardless, the thing with BlackRock is it, it has this huge influence, but it has been so slow to use it. So as one of the biggest shareholders in the world, it's, you know, it's the biggest asset manager in the world. It is the largest shareholder in most companies in the world or one of the largest shareholders in most companies in the world. So it could actually shape quite a lot of corporate response to climate change. Um, but it has been so slow um, that it's just so it's just so difficult to know yet whether it, it, it's it's having an influence or whether actually most of that influence has now been driven by other people across the investment industry and in policy and governmental circles. Attracta Mooney is the FT's investment correspondent. And before we go, Walmart is stepping up its competition with Amazon. Yesterday, in a blog post, the head of U.S. customer product said the retailer would set up small local warehouses staffed with robots. It's to cut delivery times and to be closer to where their customers live. The robots will fetch boxed and frozen food, but humans will still have some jobs. They'll handle more complex tasks, like choosing fresh produce. I guess we're just not quite at the point where a robot can select the perfectly ripe avocado. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit from a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.